The laws of physics do not forbid the possibility of time travel. If you could have a stable wormhole, you could build a time machine. But in some sense, the world around us is an illusion. The particles that make us up, electrons, protons, neutrons, have mass, but that's an illusion. At a fundamental scale, they're actually massless. Mathematics describes the world, and, it, and mathematics produces patterns. And, it, and if the world is described by mathematics, and the laws of nature are explicable as mathematical laws, then it's not too surprising to find remnants of mathematical truths in what we see in nature. Yeah, it's fascinating that it's it's fascinating, but not too surprising that different structures are governed by the same mathematical laws. That's one of the wonderful things about physics. So it's not too surprising to see the same representations crop up in many different places. If you didn't believe in God, would you go out and murder someone? And most people, you know, say no. We innately understand some moral basis which allows us to exist more or less peaceably with our environs. And the scientific method is designed to overcome the known fact that humans, including scientists, and scientists are human, have biases. Welcome back to the Gnostic Informant, and you are about to attain true Gnosis. And today I'm joined by Dr. Lawrence Krauss, theoretical physicist who authored or, or co-authored more than 300 scientific studies and recipient of a bunch of awards, including the Lillian, Lillian Field Award, which puts you on a short list of people like Stephen Hawking. <laughs> so that's pretty impressive. It's nice to it's nice to be on a list with Stephen, who was an old friend of mine. Yeah, great guy. Um, anyway, it's nice to be with you virtually. Yeah, this is this is great. So, just started off. I have a question from Derek Lambert from MythVision, and I'm just going to play. He recorded it. And I'm just going to play it, and you can just answer that, and we'll just go from there. Okay. Professor Kraus, Derek Lambert, MythVision podcast. I'm the host. I have a question for you. Many people talk about the design of the universe. They look at this universe and they see mathematics, they see structure, and they use that as an argument for a mind or a God or a creator looking at the universe itself. As someone who's a theoretical physicist, in what way does your work potentially help answer this question of, was this really all chance? When it comes to design and fine-tuning in what way does your work actually come in and kind of debunk the notion that a perfect, all-powerful designer created the world, the universe, everything that we see? Is there a way to answer that question? Well, it's a, that's a good question. I've, in fact, recently I wrote for Inference Magazine a, a long article, along with one for the Globe and Mail in Canada, on how poorly designed the universe is. Um, and, uh, you know, the unit. People look around and they say, wow, the universe, if it had different properties, we wouldn't be around. The same is true for the Earth. And that used to make people think that, that, that you know, the, that the Earth was designed for life. But in fact, what we understand after, after Darwin is that life evolved to, to fit the circumstances, the environment in which it, it could evolve in. And so it's not too surprising that life forms on Earth fit perfectly well on the earth. It's not too surprising that life on earth um, is, it, it fits, if you wish, with the universe, which if it were any different, life on earth might not be a, a possible to, to 
have arisen. But it doesn't it doesn't imply design any more than than the the fitness of life on Earth implies design of life. Natural selection works very well. Um, and it's it, I, as I often say, it's like it's like remarking on the amazing fact that my feet are exactly long enough to touch the floor. If they were a little shorter, I wouldn't be touching the floor. If they were a little longer, I'd be under the floor. But more than that, if you look at the universe, most of the universe is not well designed for us. It's most of it's uninhabitable for for beings like us or life forms like uh, like those on Earth. And in many ways, the universe is constantly trying to kill us. We're, we're lucky we've survived this long as a species. But but even the fundamental parameters that look like they're fine-tuned and the most famous one, which I discussed about as early as anyone, was um, is the energy of empty space, which seems to be have a very peculiar value that we can't understand. And it was pointed out by the late physicist Steven Weinberg that if it were much larger, that value, then galaxies wouldn't have formed and life wouldn't have formed. And some people say, wow, that's that's evidence that the universe was designed. But on the other hand, it turns out if that weird quantity was zero, which is the value we always thought it would have, which seems natural, more natural in many ways, the universe would actually be more conducive to life. So uh, I guess I like to think of the um, of the argument from uh, that, that Carl Sagan used. He said, if, you know, if, it's, if, if the universe is designed for life, it's an awful waste of space. <laughs> universe so you could just have this earth and and the other aspect is if the universe were different and had different properties sure we wouldn't be around but we can't say that there's no life that'd be around and there could be life of a very different form and that life could speculate and wonder why that universe was so well designed for it as i often say it's like an intelligent fish you know, wondering why the universe is made of water. And the answer is, well, if it wasn't, the fish wouldn't be around. And and so, so all that we, even here on Earth, we've discovered what are called extremophiles, life forms that exist in, in situations we never thought it would be possible for life to exist in, boiling hot water, acidic environments. And so if, if that's any guide, it suggests that life in many ways can can evolve uh, in 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 many different environments, and if things were very different, then we might find that that we wouldn't be here, but maybe we'd be some other sort of intelligent being with very different properties. Um, clearly, people have it backwards. The same way people before Darwin used to have it for for living systems on Earth, the universe wasn't designed for life. Life evolved. Our life, the life we measure here on Earth, evolved because in, in be in a form that's consistent with the physical properties of the universe in which it evolved. That's not so surprising. There's no evidence, as far as evidence of purpose or design, as I say, there's nothing that suggests uh, that there's any, any specific design in our location. It certainly seems to be rather random and most other locations in the universe, as I say, are not so fortunate. Uh, you would have thought that a being that designed a universe for life would make, make the whole universe hospitable for life in one way or another. And, anyway, those are some arguments. Well, to add to what you just said, that makes a lot of sense too, is so if you're designing life and you have photosynthesis for plants, why can't animals photosynthesize? Why do we have to eat each other? Like we literally have to eat the faces off other other beings to survive. Energy can't sustain energy unless it eats other energy. Well, well, it, well I can tell you part of the answer, by the way, because photosynthesis doesn't enough, provide enough energy for, for a moving animal. Right. It's not eating so much as the fact of respiration of oxygen. Right. Uh, but I, 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 I write all about that. If it, 
it was it was harnessing oxygen that allowed this molecule called ATP to you know you, you that you could basically release or produce about thirty seven times as much energy per per unit uh, material as you could otherwise. And until there was enough oxygen in the atmosphere and life, if you wish, learned how to respire, how to use oxygen, and all oxygen does is take away electrons that dump energy into, into life and allow it to exist. Until you had that, you had plants and, and immobile stuff, which was pretty peaceful for a few billion years on Earth. Um, <laughs> but things got more interesting. And when things get more interesting, it's both good and bad, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, what I'm what I said doesn't make sense. But if you're a god that can do anything, you can bypass those laws and just everybody here's principle. That's why I guess, I mean, if you're a god, you in principle can. No one really defines what god is. But I guess the idea of God is someone who isn't constrained by the laws of nature. And then if that's the case, why work within the laws of nature? <laughs> right. There, it's just, they, you're just getting, going in a circle. Which brings it's, a, it's the same argument that's given with a, that, that God and sort of rationality. If God, you know, if, if, if our morality is given by God, then why does God, why did God, if, then if God said it's okay to murder, would it be okay? If it isn't okay, then they would say yes. He's he guided by higher moral purpose. Then why, why just get rid of the middleman? Right. You don't need God anyway. And and, and speaking of that, real quick, because I was going to get to that. I wanted to have a few steps in between, but just since you mentioned morality, if you look at so throughout time, ancient civilizations had these law codes, and they always said these laws are from God, pretty much, almost, yeah. almost, almost across the board. Uh, you got the Ur Namu law code. You got the law code of Hammurabi, and then you got the Bible. You got the, the Deuteronomy law code, and then you got the New Testament. You can see a progression from going from okay, we're going to throw you into the lake, and if you survive, you're innocent. To okay, we're just going to cut your hand off if you steal, and then to like you know, let's be fair, let's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and then finally, it's like, well, love your neighbor. Okay, you yeah, but, but it's interesting that that religion that had love thy neighbor had a different version of throwing you in the lake when they were talking about witches, which was to throw them in. And if they didn't survive, they were innocent. If they survived, they were guilty. <laughs> it was a much more efficient way of dealing with people. Right, who want to get which, rid of. which tells you that morality comes from, well, I think, I don't know if this is what you think, but I think it's from our experiences. We well, it's, I think it's, it's a number of things. I think there's an evolutionary basis. I think it comes from a rational understanding of the world and, and the way it can work most efficiently. So I think, you know, there's a famous saying, sort of saying from Hume, I think, which is you can't get an ought from an is. But I think with an is combined with rational thinking leads to oughts pretty pretty darn close in any case. And so I think, uh, you know, it's no, look, you can simply ask people, and I've done this in, in public, you know, if, if, uh, if you didn't believe in God, would you go out and murder someone? And most people, you know, say no. Every now and then there's someone who says yes. Right. But obviously we're driven by things that have nothing to do with, with, that, with that belief in God. We, 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 we innately understand some moral basis which allows us to exist more or less peaceably with our environs. And, and those things arise out of a tribal culture. And, then a, and they get codified often in, in a religious jargon because that helps keep the tribes together but but when you think about it it's just it's just a way of um enforcing uh, adherence to a set of rules that make sense for the most yeah. part and they don't always make sense either of course that's the whole point i mean the bible is full of rules that are rather horrible but but most people ignore those and just take the ones they like 
Yeah, and I'm actually having somebody on after you who we're going to talk about the history of science. And um, I would argue that, like you hear all the time from like people like Jordan Peterson, they'll say, you know, Western civilization would be nothing without the church and Christianity. But that, but it's like, wait a second here. If you go back before the church, you got the Epicureans, you got the uh, you got Demo- Democritus who was talking about atoms. You got they were they were on to stuff. And then the church came along, and then it's like they went backwards for a thousand years. I would argue the opposite. Well, I think there's a little bit of both. That's the point. It's it's uh, it's it's as usually the case. And sort of extremes or stereotypes are usually just that. And so it's true that the the the, the um, enforcing um, adherence to religious doctrine by the church held held Western civilization back in the early Middle Ages. At the same time, it's also true that 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 the repositories of books and learning were religious groups, uh, monks, and and later on universities. And so, um, you know, the, the the kind of the kind of intellectual climate that that involves thinking, reading, writing, and uh, did did grow out of uh, out of the church later on. And of course, eventually, those universities grew out of the church. They also all the early universities were church run. Eventually they grew out of it. So it's, you know, it has, it is a give and take. Certainly, certainly the existence of Western universities goes back to church run things, but the existence of ignorance for a few hundred years was, was, you know, among the masses of the public was also due to church run hierarchy. So it's a combination of good and bad, I think. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it a, a like a, Jesuit who discovered the Big Bang or, or theorized well, Jesuit, it? Yeah, yeah Lemaitre uh, was a Belgian priest, but Jesuit priest who was all, but he was also a physicist. He, he did his PhD at MIT. Right. And um, uh, he, but, and he was the first one to, to recognize that the solution of Einstein's equations implied basically that, that you had an expanding universe that arose from a, an initial point. And and he did he discovered that he, he wrote that down around nineteen twenty eight or twenty nine, which is before Hubble dis- wow. empirically discovered that the universe was expanding, and certainly Einstein didn't buy into it, and Hubble never bought into it. But eventually, people realized that Lemaitre was right. Yeah, that's and what he did, by the way. The Pope, sometime later, said, "Hey, this is evidence of Genesis of the and that and Lemaitre, who was both a priest and a scientist, said, "No, stop it. This is." A, scientific theory you can take it to validate what you want or you could take it to validate something else but it's not it's not it shouldn't be taken inappropriately and um that's fascinating so i've heard you say i don't know where i can't remember where i heard you say this you were talking it was on some podcast but you said that the universe at one point was at the site was the size of an atom yeah my one of my books called adam begins at a time when our visible universe was the size of an atom it was smaller than that at earlier times we but before that, sort of the laws of physics as we understand them break down, so we can't extrapolate backwards with authority in any way. But back to the time when the universe was the size of an atom or so, aren't the laws of physics as we know them allow us to extrapolate back? And it is really amazing. I mean, it's unfathomable to think of all of the energy and matter that's now in the universe in one way or another existing in a region that small. It's just it's just unfathomable. But that's the great thing about the universe and science is it forces you to stretch what you what you can imagine. So to go back a little bit, because you were talking about you said that you don't, when you look around, you don't see anything that points to a designer. 
However, in fact, if you ask me, I see all evidence to the contrary. Sure. We're not designed very well. If we were, we wouldn't have blind spots. We wouldn't, we wouldn't breathe out of the same orifice. We ate all sorts of things that if I were going to design a human being, I might design differently. But and I, in general, you know, I, it's, it seems completely random. And when you look at it, it is. It's more or less structureless on large scales. And the fluctuations from the Big Bang are what are called Gaussian random fluctuations, which are understandable from quantum mechanics, but don't, don't give any evidence of, um, of any initial purpose or design. Now, I agree with that, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. There's this big, uh, I mean, there's in, in math, there's the Fibonacci sequence, the golden ratio. And yeah. the new age movement loves to point to this and say, look, it's everywhere. It's in plants. It's in, it's everywhere. Look, it's, it's, there's God's fingerprint right there. How can you deny it? That's what well, mathematics describes the world and, it, and mathematics produces patterns. And if, and if the world is, Describable by mathematics and and the laws of nature are explicable as mathematical laws, then it's not too surprising to find remnants of mathematical um, truths in 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 the in in what we see in nature. I mean, you could just look. The number two is profoundly important, and it exists throughout nature. Uh, but people don't seem to find that as surprising. But but you know, binary aspects of the world uh, uh, are are all around us. And um, and and so yeah, it's fascinating that it's it's fascinating, but not too surprising that different structures um, are governed by the same mathematical laws. That's one of the wonderful things about physics. So it's not too surprising to see the same representations crop up in many different places, from galaxies down to down to living living things. Is it? Do you think that might be the cause of it? Is the the, the shape of our galaxy, the energy behind our galaxy, having that shape? sort of like down no, I mean, you know it turns out it, again it, speaking of design and not design if you take a gas of particles uh you know r relatively uniform gas spherical gas of particles and have it collapse if they if they have interactions like our matter does that will that will then collapse down into a pancake and if it has angular momentum it'll produce a disc-shaped galaxy so there's nothing it's beautiful to look at but but you, if you if you on a computer just put gravity in and allow particles to collapse, you'll get that structure. So it doesn't require any 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 magic finger to be making it. I mean, snowflakes are beautiful, right? And they look oh, yeah. like crystal ornaments, but all you need are the laws of electromagnetism and polar molecules and boom, you create snowflakes. Yeah, I think it's more of like, in hindsight, looking back and saying, look, everything looks like this, therefore it was created that way. Yeah, I mean, but again, it's putting the cart before the horse. I would use right. another way of saying it, perhaps otherwise, but it's putting the cart before the horse. It's it's saying, hey, these structures are similar, therefore there must be design. But the other thing you can say is, hey, these structures are similar and they're simple laws that always produce those structures. Hey, it demonstrates that the simple laws govern nature. Yeah. Boom. So now I want to talk about, I don't know how much you know or don't know about this, is the simulation hypothesis. Okay, okay, I know. Crossed around a lot. Is there anything to this? Like, is there any credibility? I think it's kind of vacuous to me. First of all, I see no evidence of it. Um, usually, in simulations, um, there are there are bits or pixels that don't work, and, <laughs> and you know, I, and, we're, and, that, and they'd be manifest here as, as little regions where the laws seem to break down around us, or the laws of physics, you know, and except maybe in in, in Donald Trump's head, the rest of the world works. <laughs> works in 
pretty well ways. And so, um, and that's the first thing. The second thing is it, it begs the really interesting question. Okay, so we're a simulation. Did the people who, the beings who created the simulation, are they a simulation? Because they must be more complex than us, right? So are they a simulation? And if they're not a simulation, they evolved from laws of physics that make a lot of them fall. So it doesn't resolve any questions. It's like turtles all the way down. Moreover, as a physicist, in some ways, it doesn't matter to me um, because I'm, I'm in, my interest is, is in discovering the laws that govern the world in which we live. And, and that's, and, and you know, if, if it's a fake world, I, you know, that's irrelevant in some sense to being a physicist. You know, finding some irregularities that might point out that it's a fake world would be interesting, but there is no such evidence of that. So I don't see that the simulation hypothesis adds anything, nor do I see any evidence of it. Um, it's not impossible, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't add anything. It doesn't add anything that I can think of. It doesn't it doesn't answer any questions. It doesn't make things simpler to understand, because once again, it's just like God. You have a God. Well, who created that God? Okay, and and again, simulation. So where's simulation? Are the people who created the simulation also simulation? As it, and is the simulations all the way down? It's an infinite simulation. Yeah. <laughs> so and then and that's funny because you talk, you bring that. Uh, it, it reminds me of like the deist, deism, the deist arguments, and a lot of times fundamentalists will hide behind those arguments, like, oh look, you know, it's possible. You don't know what happened before the Big Bang, therefore. Sure. And they'll jump no, all the way to their Let me repeat what I often say, and you've heard me say it before, which is that lack of understanding is not evidence for God. It's evidence of lack of understanding. Exactly. Let's make that quite clear. And it, me, it invites us to try and understand. And that's the reason I became a scientist. Yeah. And, and that's, and it's been, if you look at the history of how the goalpost has been being moved yeah. from, from geocentrism to like the, the, it was the church that fought that. It's like, no. The sun, we don't revolve around the sun. We're, we're the center of everything. And then they fought it, although they probably knew it was, it was untrue, but they fought it because they had good observatories. So yeah. They, there's they actually, probably the only ones to know it wasn't true. Yeah. There's actually some, uh, some evidence to show that there's people who thought that the sun was the center of the earth or center of the universe long before that was established by, you know, whatever, by just. Oh yeah. There was you know. evidence of that. And the church, as I say, had, had good, had good observatories. They probably, some, some of them other than Galileo probably had suspicion and or Copernicus, but we, the history, and I've written about this years and years ago, but the history of science or the history of humanity is to remove us ever further from the center, ever further. We were, we thought we were the center of the solar system. We're not, but the sun's not the center of the universe. It's not, it's just at a random out suburban neighborhood of our galaxy but our galaxy isn't the center of the universe it's it's in a cluster of galaxies and it's orbiting around a, a rather dense cluster and that and that and that dense part of our cluster is not the center of the universe so we keep getting moved more and more away from the center of the universe and then in other ways we're being removed from the center of the universe we just we've discovered that the matter that makes you and i up is not is just a small fraction of what's really out there in the universe so we're kind of in where we get more and more irrelevant the, the more we study the universe. And that's good. That's fine. That shouldn't make us upset. It should make our existence more marvelous, not less marvelous. Right. And so that's what I've noticed is that when I look at history and look at like the, what we know, every time, everything we don't know is where the theist arguments try to dominate. A lot the, of the gaps you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's really what it is. Like, just because you don't know something doesn't mean therefore 
the Quran is true, or therefore the New yeah, Testament. Exactly. Is true. And, and, I know that's from that, there to there. That's, that's that's why I made that statement. It's really not understanding anything. It does not represent anything about what you don't understand. Um, I think anyway. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson's right when he says that when we when we when we try to fill in the gaps because I used to be like, well, what's what's the harm filling in the gaps with our own beliefs? Whatever, we're just it just feels good. But he made a good point where he said it gets us to stop thinking about these things and we stop trying to discover more. Well, there's two things. That's one of the points. It's a, God is a convenient way to stop thinking, right? I mean, if there ever comes a perplexing question, you say God did it, and that, that's the same as saying stop thinking or, or as Ricky Gervais would go, it's like doing that. <laughs> but, but, um, but it's also got another uh, unfortunate consequence, which is that if you, if you believe things that are not the case, that, that are, that don't support the evidence of reality, then you're likely to make decisions based on those beliefs, which are poor decisions. And, you know, and so it leads to, it leads to, Actions which are which are which are often contrary to the best interests of yourself and other people. You know, it leads you to believe that homosexuality is a sin or something like that, and 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 um, and so that's the other negative side effect. The first one that it stops inquiry, and the second that it can cause reasonable people to do unreasonable things. The late Steve Weinberg, again, the, that Nobel Prize winning physicist, used to say, and I paraphrase him because I can never get it exactly right. He more or less used to say, "Good, there's good people and bad people. Good people do good things. Bad people do bad things. When good people do bad things, it's religion." Wow, that's a good point. And and another, I, I was thinking about while you were saying that is that when you start with a worldview that's based on religion, you have to you have to find whatever evidence you get and sort of make it malleable and make it fit that you can't be like in, in in the scientific method you can't have a bias at all but well you can the point is no let, look let's make it quite clear scientists have biases but the scientific method as you point out the process of doing science is designed to catch those biases it's designed it's designed based on the fact that it knows its individual scientists have biases so the methodology works recognizing that to catch those biases and overcome them but as a group structure to to recognize that your results have to be tested by others and 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 your biases can be checked and and so the whole the whole social or sociological process of science and the scientific method is designed to overcome the known fact that humans including scientists and scientists are human have biases that's a good point now i want to get to a fun one Okay. I, this is actually a, a a Christian friend of mine who I grew up with. I was talking to this was a couple months ago, and he's we're talking about science, and he said, "Well, what about quantum entanglement?" He said, yeah, quantum, "Quantum entanglement means means that there could be a you could be quantumly entangled with the creator right now, and he's watching everything you're doing." Well, you know, yeah, but people like to to, to throw out these terms from physics, and it sort of upsets me. I'm just fixing my camera. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, the, because they don't understand what they're talking about. Um, and quantum physics, people love to bandy terms of quantum physics around. But quantum entanglement, which exists, which is a central property of quantum mechanics, it, it means that there are correlations between... I'm going to try and get the focus of this better. Sure. It means that there are correlations between separate objects, which are not really separate because they're, they're in the, have sort of part of a single wave function. But those quantum correlations get destroyed 
very easily by interactions, which is why you and I behave classically. And we don't we don't have the characteristics that an electron has in an atom. And so <laughs> quantum entanglement is incredibly easily destroyed. And physicists are trying to u- create systems where quantum entanglement can exist over macroscopic scales. And they have to be very, very, very clever to be able to do that in either, or, or cool systems down or isolate them very carefully. So random objects are not quantumly entangled with the world around them in, in that sense. And they're, they're quite classical because those quantum correlations get destroyed. That's the thing about quantum mechanics is it's so hard. It's so like bizarre, I guess you would say that and not the average person doesn't understand it so no, much. I mean, none of us understand that. I'm sorry, this camera. It's okay. It's not a focus. There we go. There we um, go. Now it looks good. The, the, the uh, yeah, no, it, well, you know, Feynman, who was understood quantum mechanics as well as everyone else said, no one understands quantum mechanics. It's, it's, it's a very, that's because we are classical beings and our intuition is classical and quantum mechanical laws violate that classical intuition. And therefore, um, we don't have an innate understanding of quantum mechanics. We can understand the mathematics of quantum mechanics and make predictions and build devices like the devices that's powering my computer and yours and, and, the, and, and pretty well almost everything in your room is based on, on quantum mechanics. Uh, so we can work with it very effectively, but but the but but the, the sort of the properties of quantum mechanics cannot be expressed easily in terms of the classical concepts, which we innately understand because we're classical beings. Yeah, and it seems like because it's one of those things that because people don't understand it, you can, it they just can apply it to just make it woo woo this woo woo that. And yeah, I know, I know, and it's really abused more than any other area of physics, and it upsets me. But I try to get over it. So, speaking of like quantum entanglement and stuff and stuff that's really really bizarre, you they talk about atoms popping in and out of existence. How does that happen? Can you it happens. It's quantum mechanics. Um, I mean, particles can pop in and out of existence because quantum mechanics on small scales allows fluctuations. The Heisenberg uncertainty principle means that basically on small enough scales over small enough times, more or less anything goes. Uh, if you can't measure what's happening there, then all sorts of things can be happening. And not only can they be happening, they can all be happening at the same time. So it's 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 really crazy. So but that means- the fact that we can't see them doesn't make them imaginary anymore, like God. It, it because because unlike God, there we can make predictions of side of these these particles which we can't see that are popping in and out of existence affect directly the property of things like atoms in a calculable way, and when we calculate based on their existence, we come if we don't include them, we get the wrong answers for for the structure of atoms. When we include them, we get the right answers, but not just the right answers, the right answers to fourteen decimal places, the best predictions in all of physics. So we know they're there. Yeah. And so when people who aren't educated with a religious agenda hear things like that, when they hear scientists, when they hear PhD scientists say atoms can pop in and out of existence, they're going to say, well, there you go. Ghosts can, and angels and demons can well, pop well, in. And out. I know. I mean, it's proven by science. Believe, people who really want to believe are going to want to believe whatever you, no matter what you say, or most people, uh, I'm not, some people. Many people can be can be can can confront their own misconceptions and thereby learn something. That's what we call learning. But some people are so committed to their ideological stances, whether they're religious or whether they're woke, that no matter what the reality of of existence is, you can't convince them otherwise. Yeah, and, and another strange 
experiment, I should say, is this split hole experiment where I think it was misunderstood in the beginning and then sort of got figured out over time. I don't know if you want to take us through what happened with that. Well, well, I mean, the two slit experiment, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I don't know if it's misunderstood, but it's a, it's a beautiful demonstration of quantum mechanics. So of the fact that particles are, are wave-like, like electrons. You know, if I take a, if I take a, a wall and I cut two slits in it and I have a machine gun and I just keep shooting back and forth, if I look behind the wall, I'll see two spots where there are a lot of bullets right behind the, the slits. Because, But if I take a, a wave like light or sound or water, in fact, just I was just looking at my dock back there and I saw a perfect example of this phenomenon. If you have a wave going through two slits, there'll be what's called an interference pattern and there'll be all sorts of light and dark spots or in case of waves, spots with a lot of waving and spots that are completely calm. And, um, and so... The question, so the idea was, well, let's test and see if electrons are particles or waves. So you take, you take electrons and you, you throw them at the, the slits and, and, and then you look at the pattern that comes out and, uh, and it's wave-like. It's got interference patterns. And you say, well, that's crazy because the particle went through one slit or another. It didn't go through both. And so you actually have shine a light or an electron detector if you want. And it indeed, it, it then detects each electron going through one slit or another. But when you do that, lo and behold, you look behind the, the slits and the pattern is different than it was before. It's now that of bullets. So in the process of observing the electrons to see which slit it went to, you change the pattern. If you don't observe, then the electrons literally go through both slits at the same time and interfere with themselves. So am I here? Let me just, am I hearing you right? You're saying our observing the demonstration actually affects what happens? Yeah, that's, that's a property of quantum mechanics. That is observation affects the end result or can affect the end result. Doesn't always, but it can. So, okay. So everything's waves basically, right? And particles. And particles. And when they go through these holes, they... Electron is not, is not localized. The electron, if you're not looking at it, is in many places at once. Wow. If you measure it, it'll always be in one place. But if you don't measure it, until you measure it, it's in many different places at the same time doing many different things. And then, and, that, and, the, and the probability that you'll find it in any of those places is is, de, is determined precisely and accurately by quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics gives you the rules to determine the probability that that electron, which is in many places at the same time, when you actually measure it, the probability you'll find it in this place versus that place. That can be determined exactly using the, the laws of quantum mechanics. Wow, it's so bad. And then so people, like I said, like I'm, I'm always going to go back to this because this is this is sort of the whole point. People, people with uneducated with a religious uh, agenda will hear that and say, "Well, look, where if everything's wavicles, what is a word? A word is a vibration. It's God's word. Oh, look, we're all God's word." So you get those. It's it's very malleable when it comes to trying to fit uh, quantum science because it's so. Out of the or it's so different from classical mechanics. Uh, well, it is. It's as different as can be. But but any of the laws of physics can be distorted by people to suggest that God exists if they want if they want it hard enough. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. And um, does this have anything to do with the uh, Schrodinger's cat experiment? Well, the Schrodinger's cat experiment is is the extreme of this, and, 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 and you know because it seems so crazy, which is. You put a cat. I mean, with an electron, if you're not if you're not measuring it, you can't say what state it's in. It's in is what's called the superposition of states, and 
And if you have a cat in the box, it could be live or dead. And if you, you know, you, you, you know, and, and there could have been a radioactive decay that produced a bomb that killed the cat, but that's probabilistic. Until you look in, you don't know. So, but if you look in, the cat is either alive or dead. But before you look in, you could say quantum mechanically, the cat is in a superposition of a live cat and a dead cat. And then, and then you, you determine which one when you see it. But, but that's the extreme version because you're, you're taking a system in which quantum correlations are, are, well, you're correlating a, ma a big macroscopic system to the decay of a radioactive atom, which is the radioactive atom is governed by the behaves explicitly by the laws of quantum mechanics. And you're making what seems to be a, a, um, a contradiction. But, but if you think through it carefully, um, the, the quantum correlations are such that you never, that, 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 that very, that instantaneously, effectively, the, the, the cat is always either in a, in a live state or a dead state. It's never in a superposition that's that that can be distinguished as such. So, do you think that it's just the observation is just based on? I mean, I don't. I'm trying. How do you put it? It's like based on hindsight, kind of like you're just looking back at what the possible. There's only two possibilities. You're just looking. Well, back. You're, you're you're applying the laws of quantum mechanics to a macroscopic system, right? And macroscopic systems are ones in which those quantum correlations, which produce those weird behaviors get washed out very quickly. So so while so basically what happens is that that classical systems can be in a superposition, but very quickly they're they're either in one state or another. And that's why I'm in this room and I'm not I'm not, you know, outside the room at the same time, because I'm very quickly any kind of quantum correlations that might have caused, you know, that might have uh, given that kind of strange behavior is washed out so quickly that I behave like a billiard ball. Yeah. More now like we're talking subatomic levels here. How is there a way you can describe how small this is actually is that we're talking? Can you like put it in context, basically? Well, the, the great thing is that physicists are now experimental physicists are now creating macroscopic systems where the weird properties of quantum mechanics are manifest. For, the simplest one is actually was created in 1911 sure. without knowing it needed to do quantum mechanics, and that's superconductivity. If you if you you know, cool something like mercury down to to uh, um, to a, a temperature a few degrees above absolute zero. Suddenly, all electric resistance disappears. Not gets small, but disappears completely. And if you hook it up to a battery and you get a current flowing and you disconnect the battery, the current will flow forever, forever without resistance. Superconductivity is an amazing phenomenon. We use it in, all the time nowadays, but. Um, and people are searching for what are called high temperature superconductors. We don't have to cool them down so low to get that weird behavior. But that property is a macroscopic manifestation of laws of quantum mechanics. And you couldn't understand it without quantum mechanics. So now let's, let's just change it up a little bit. There's okay. CERN is, is, uh, is colliding particles. What, mm -hmm. what are they trying to do there? What exactly is the end game here with this? The idea is to, is to, is to build up higher and higher energies because the higher energy you have, the bigger, better microscope you have because of the laws of quantum mechanics. So we're trying to basically full probe the fundamental structure of matter. And by bombarding, say, protons with higher and higher energy pro projectiles, what one can explore in some sense the inner structure of the proton and look for new particles and forces, which might help us understand why the forces of nature are what they are and why matter is what it is. Is this how they figured out about this Higgs boson? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, so, it's because if you 
smash the particles with enough energy, you can create elementary particles that you wouldn't see otherwise, including the Higgs boson. And what exactly does that tell us about the universe? Well, that tells us, I wrote a whole book about it called The Greatest Story Ever Told So Far. But it's, it's, um, it tells us that in some sense, the world around us is an illusion. Um, at a fundamental level, I know, and that'll make them religious. Really happy. <laughs> it's a simulation. <laughs> no, it's not a simulation, but it's a, it's an illusion. It's a of a different sort. I keep going out of focus. I don't know if, it, if the camera doesn't like what I'm saying, but um, <laughs> but w- the particles that make us up—electrons, protons, neutrons—have mass, but that's an illusion. At a fundamental scale, they're actually massless. But because it turns out in the early history of the universe, this Higgs field formed throughout the universe. As particles go through it, they experience resistance, and some particles experience more resistance and act like they're heavier, and other particles experience less resistance, like electrons, and act like they're lighter. And some particles, like photons, experience no resistance at all, and they remain massless and still travel at the speed of light. So all of the properties of matter that we see and measure and hold so dear to us are really an accident of, of the history of the universe. If the Higgs field hadn't relaxed into that configuration and now existence throughout the universe, then we wouldn't be here. So the fundamental structure of the universe is not at all conducive to our existence. It's just an accident that the Higgs field formed and and uh, and allowed matter to exist in the form in which you measure it. And so if everything's expanding, does that mean it's going to get to a point where it's going to expand so much that it's going to actually affect the reality that we're in? Or is it yeah. such a slow, slow change that we don't even notice it? Uh, it's going to keep on, as far as we can tell, the universe is expanding faster and faster, and it's not going to ever stop. And, then, and like, and so is that ever going to affect reality? Like, how, is there, anyone well, it will affect ever... reality in the far future in the sense that all the galaxies that we now see, except the ones we're bound to, our local supercluster galaxies, all of the um, all of the other galaxies will disappear. They'll eventually be moving away from us faster than light. So in two trillion years all the rest of the galaxies that we can now see in the universe will have disappeared and beings that exist around stars in our own galaxy two trillion years from now will look out and think they live in a universe with a single galaxy um uh, much like we thought we lived in in 1925. so i just thought of something this is going to open up a whole new time right uh, when we look out we see the past is that true well, we, uh, we see things as they were in the past if they're far away. Uh, look, I'm seeing you in the past right now. Right. It's taking some time for your signal to get to me. Yeah. Light travels so fast and electric signals and wires and, and, and waves travel so fast that the, it looks like it's instantaneous. But my now is not your now. I just said now. But when I just said now, you heard it a little while, a little while after I said it. So, okay. So now you're looking. So when we... First of all, let me ask you this. Is time travel possible? Do you think it's possible? Is it like theoretically possible? Well, again, I wrote about this a lot in the physics of Star Trek. But um, (laughs) the the laws of physics do not forbid the possibility of time travel. Wow. But they also suggest that that um, that. Uh, it's highly unlikely. Yeah. That in order to the system, the general relativity allows for the possibility of time travel, but the but in order to do that, you have to create configurations of mass and energy that are strange beyond belief, 
And we th and many physicists think there are probably laws of, of, of physics, of quantum mechanics, that say that you can't really create those conditions. So, so while time travel is theoretically not impossible, uh, the, the kind of configurations you'd need to create a time machine are so extreme and weird that it's quite likely that they're that they cannot that they're not achievable. Can you sort of theorize what that would entail, or no? Is that so? Well, I, I mean, again, I talk, I read the physics of Star Trek. I, I give an example of a wormhole. A wormhole, if it existed, which is a shortcut through space, would give. If it, if you could have a stable wormhole, you could build a time machine. So how, have we ever discovered a wormhole? Is that even? No, no, we don't know if they exist. In fact, uh, in fact, again, stable wormholes don't exist unless you have exotic forms of energy that are totally different than anything we've ever seen or heard. But, but if you could create a wormhole of the type that Jodie Foster went through in Contact, um, <laughs> then you, then she could, they, she could literally do. Uh, she could come out the wormhole and come back and be and be younger than she was when she left. Now in the movie with um, McConaughey, yeah, Matthew McConaughey, yeah. Uh, what's that movie called? Contact. Con yeah, no, I'm thinking of the one where he goes into where he goes into into a wormhole. Oh, Interstellar. Interstellar, yes, yeah. Yeah, one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. <laughs> Coming from a theoretical physicist, I should take your word for that. So that's completely nonsense. That couldn't even. Uh -huh. They did no. Well, they some things are nonsense. My friend Kip Thorne, who later won the Nobel Prize help design the images of the black hole around the star because that's kind of a fun thing to do. But but most of the movie is just complete scientific nonsense. Right. So a, bl a black hole is not the same thing as a wormhole. Oh, absolutely not. Well, well, hold on. Okay. We don't know what happens at the center of a black hole. We don't know what happens at the singularity. Maybe it's a tunnel to another universe or another region of the universe. The only problem is you wouldn't survive the journey. So yeah. you'd be stretched into spaghetti and torn apart when you got close to the singularity by the tidal forces of gravity. Now, I always thought about this, this because the black hole, it stretches you out, right? But if it, if you were to get put back into the shape that you were in before you went into the black hole, would you theoretically be back to life again? Or is well, I mean, you're, you're asking me if I took apart your, your body into the individual atoms and I put them all together back in the same way, would you be you? And the answer is maybe. And that's, you know, that's the transporter. There you go. And, 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 you know, we have, we'd be great to do the experiment. The problem is the laws of quantum mechanics say that I can't really do that because I can't, I can never know where every atom is in your body and what it's doing at precisely the same time by the cause of the laws of uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. And therefore I can make a, an approximation of you, but I'm not sure it would have the same memories or thoughts. Yeah. Cause you hear about people talking about, like Elon Musk says this, like, it might be possible one day to download your consciousness into a computer. It's like, okay, let's say I did that. Let's say this is all true, right? Mm -hmm. And I download my consciousness into a computer, but I still go on living. My physical body, I'm still alive. I go on living and I die. And I have no idea what my simulation version of me and the computer is doing. So is that even really pointless? Is, that, is there even a point to that? Well, or am I just giving life to it? But, but your simulation feels like you. So I guess... I guess you can kind of feel like some, I mean, people constantly want remnants of themselves to, to persist past their death. And that's one way, I suppose. Another way is writing books, I guess. But, um, yeah. um, and, and so, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I don't know what people's motivations would be, but the idea, the idea is interesting because, um, um, 
you know, you can imagine lots of, it's all science fiction, right? If I could download your consciousness, then if you got sick and maybe you could, you know, in some problem, they could, they could do something and then maybe you could upload the consciousness back and be yourself again, all sorts of, you know, strange right. impossible things. It makes you wonder. So if, if that's, po like, if that's possible, first of all, it isn't possible now, but yeah. Right. If that, if so, who would, who would be there to monitor this computer with everyone in it? And then eventually when people have to get off the planet, because, you know, climate change is inevitable. The world's not going to stay here forever. It's not going to eventually we have to get off this planet. Then what? Do they take the computer with them? And or why, they just, why, why should they go just send the computer? Right. <laughs> there you go. There's a solution. Well, right I mean, I, seriously, I, the only kind of interstellar travel that makes sense to me is to have microscopic robots that uh, encode intelligence or or and if you wish, can build biological beings on the new planet. But I, I don't. I think the idea of sending two hundred pounds of bags of water into space to colonize the universe seems ridiculously ridiculous because we evolved to survive in this environment we're in now. We're not very good up there. Yeah, and that's another question: is like uh, astronauts when they go into space, they start. To, it seems like they rapidly start to evolve, and they start to lose their bone density and stuff like that. Oh, that some things like bone density get smaller, although it's recovered quickly when they're back in the gravitational environment. You know, and and of, and of course, in, unlike the protected environment around Earth, when you're in in, in even in in um, interplanetary space, uh, you you you'll die from the radiation. So so it's not a good place to be. Yeah, and then back to time travel for a second. The, if time travel really was possible, I don't. I mean, wouldn't it? Wouldn't someone already have came back by now? Or unless we're just the beginning, well, it just happened to be the beginning of everything. When I talked about time travel, I used to have a, a Stephen Hawking wrote the foreword for that book, The Physics of Star Trek. And um, and he used to say time travel is impossible because if it were possible, we'd already be inundated by tourists from the future. And, exactly. and I, 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 as I like to say, I countered him by saying, no, they all went back to the 1960s and no one noticed. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> That's great. Now, so if so now, is time travel more possible one way than the other? Is it is it be, like is it more? It's possible? definitely possible. I'm, we're doing it right now. That's true. This video is going to be eternal. We're going to be eternally we're going to be eternal, but we're moving forward. I just I just went from yes from the last second to this one. I have been time traveling the entire oh, time. I'm, me, I'm time traveling. I'm moving forward in time. So moving forward in time is incredibly easy. Yeah. What about speeding it up? So if you asked if, you know, it's easier in one direction than another, it's certainly a lot easier to move forward. Backward about, is the problem. What about moving forward faster? Uh, you make time move faster? Well, you know, you know what Einstein once said um, when explaining relativity? He said, if you're sitting on a hot stove, a second can seem like an hour. But if you're <laughs> talking to an attractive woman, an hour can seem like a second. There you go. That's a really good answer, actually. It's per is it's it Einstein's. You can thank him. That's relativity right there, yeah. right? <laughs> so I had, had a question I was going to say. I forgot what it was, though. But um, so, yeah, okay. So let's say – let me ask you this. How long do you think this planet has left before we have to get off this planet? I, I don't know. I mean, I know in the long term, I know that in 5 billion years, the sun will grow into a red giant and, 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 and the Earth will be inside the outside of the sun. So we have unless we, unless we move the Earth, which is possible. Really, um, but yeah, sure, it's possible to move the Earth. But but uh, 
So I know that's going to happen. And in about 5 billion years also, the Andromeda galaxy will collide with the Milky Way galaxy. Now, that won't cause as much. In general, it won't cause a lot of problems because stars are so far apart, you won't really notice anything. But the nature of our galaxy will change. But how long life on Earth? Well, in 2 billion years, there'll be a runaway greenhouse effect on Earth no matter what we do. Not the kind of greenhouse we see, but the kind of greenhouse that produced uh, Venus because the sun will be 15% hotter and water will begin to evaporate and it's a big greenhouse of gas and 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 you'll eventually get the earth, the temperature of the earth will be something like uh, you know a thousand degrees something like the surface of venus so it won't be very hospitable then so so certainly in two to five billion years the earth is not going to be a place you want to be in uh at least where it is um but beyond that i don't know and i always say i don't make predictions that are less than a few billion years in the future because first no one will be around to check them and secondly uh it's a lot easier well, you know, we have, we're in the, in the age of video now. You you might, I mean, you're you're an award winning physicist. You might people might be looking you up, and you're five thousand. I mean, yeah. I'm less it's hard if yeah, if they can figure out a computer a way to turn to run the software on a five thousand year old computer. Yeah, I guess. So. I I thought about that. I thought I'm like, okay, so the, the VHS and all that old technology doesn't really get transferred over, but it, sometimes it does. Only the sometimes good stuff. If you're careful. Yeah, that's... you better remember. I mean, you know, just think about in our own, our own, our own planet. I mean, how few things from two thousand years ago have survived. Right, very few compared yeah. to the grand scheme of everything, and yeah. it's always the most important things, very selective things. And well, makes... they're only important because we find them. They could just be a you know a grocery list. Yeah, it's so, and religious stuff. If we find it, right, it tells us what they ate back then. <laughs> so, do you think it's more likely that? the humans to survive would have to go onto a spaceship and just kind of float in space? Or do you think they'd find another planet that's hospitable? Well, lots of potential planets. And, uh, you know, I, you know, the question is getting from here to there is a hell of a hard job. Right. I, I think it's, I think, I think it'd be easier to consider colonize if we needed to colonizing other parts of the solar system. But uh, that's a lot. But the point is it's not urgent. I mean, it's not, not urgent. We're talking, we're talking billions of years in the future, but I mean, it's a good idea. To not hedge your bets, right? The Earth is there's going to be large asteroids that'll be hitting the Earth and other things over time. So it's not so it may, it's not a bad idea to have other outposts of humanity if you want to, if you want human the human condition to continue to exist. I mean, so it's better to hedge your bets in the long run. But but it's not. We don't need to go to Mars next month. Yeah, because um, I only reason I'm thinking about that because it, there's it's inevitable. It's going to happen, and even if it's billions or millions, whatever, however many. I'm just throwing numbers out there. It's gonna that that day will happen. I mean, oh, yeah, I think though. I mean, some humans will be on Mars. Absolutely, it just it just won't make much of a difference. Yeah. Do you think Mars is a good? Do you think Mars is hospitable? Like, do you? What well, do you no, do? it's pretty it's inhospitable. Right. I, no, I'd much rather be here. Um, right. It's pretty you, can, you, can you change the atmosphere? And, and, you could, and, yeah, you can imagine. Um, uh, you you can imagine it. Uh, ways to make Mars more habitable. It's just probably a lot easier to make the Earth more habitable. <laughs> well, yeah, that obviously. Uh, that's, yeah, so you could. So, but Mars right now, I mean, if you, you know, you 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 would die from radiation if you were on the surface of the Mars of Mars for too long. Yeah, the Matt Damon movie was nice, and I liked a lot a lot of I liked the book, but radiation on the you know you you die from three or four years sitting on the surface like he did. Yeah, um, the last thing I want to touch on is the. Uh, 
the idea of a center of the universe and there not being one. How does how do you explain that? There's not a center. Well, of the I am the center of the universe. Nice. <laughs> Me too. Um, but the point is, we are all the center of the universe. We're we're all the center of our own universes. There is no center of the universe, just like there's no center of the surface of the Earth. Where's the center of the surface of the Earth? I don't know. <laughs> any place is as good as any other place. North Pole? I don't know. What do you say? Well, North Pole is nice, but what you know? What? But or the South Pole, or or here? Or we're about- all the same on the surface of the sphere. Every point is the same, and in a in a either a flat or open universe or a closed universe, the same thing is true, and it can expand just like a sphere can expand, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean that if I blow up a balloon and put dots on the surface of the balloon, every dot moves away from every other dot, but no, nothing is, there's no center there. And, and that's a sort of a two-dimensional curve space analogy of a three-dimensional curve space in our, in our universe. So there's no like core to the universe? It's just... What do you mean core? It's, it's three-dimensional and, and it's the same in, in all directions as far as we can tell, and it's just expanding. So they're... they're is a chord, right? No, no, no. If you it, it, no, because it, it, you know, because um, every point is get moving away from every other point. Okay. And so there's no special place where it's you know not not everything is moving away from one point. Every everything is moving away from every point. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. You got to remember well, again. I, I, I hate so. promoting my books. I actually don't. But in oh, the in course, that, nothing. No, but in universe for nothing, I provide some pictures that make it easier to, to understand what's happening. And that's exactly what I was going to say next is where can anybody look for some more work on you and your websites and whatnot? Well, my, my, my website, there's a, my personal website, which is lawrencemkraus.com. There's the Origins Project website, which is originsprojectfoundation.org, which, um, which uh, has, you know, the, the, the foundation that I run, the podcast, a lot of other things. My personal website has things I've written about. And of course, I tweet at Al Kraus one, wishing I didn't, but I do. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and you can find me on Facebook. But you know, um, there's lots of ways to find what I'm doing. This has been fun, man, and I really really hope we could do it again in the in the uh, in the time traveling future. Okay, good. Well, it was fun. It was nice. Thanks for thanks for connecting with me for this short time. And yeah. I guess I'll say that this hour passed like a second. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and everyone watching, you have just attained true gnosis. There you go. You have just attained true gnosis. The Demiurge has no power over.